0: Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. Joining me tonight in the speakeasy is the current executive director of the Audiobook Publishers Association, Michelle Cobb. Thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight.
1: Thanks, Rich. It's good to be here.
0: I'm so glad you could make it. Uh, Michelle and I just met at the uh, Audiobook Publishers Association conference, otherwise known as APAC, a term which I'm sure you'll hear many times tonight. And I'm so glad that you could make it into the speakeasy so soon after APAC.
1: Well, it's uh, nice to be sitting in one place and not standing in one place, which I did a lot
0: of last week. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Although standing in one place, I don't know. Every time I saw you, you were moving.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I did not achieve enough uh, steps to win. Uh, well, actually, I did win the Fitbit contest last week, but I did not hit my daily goal, which always makes me sad.
0: Wow, that I'm I'm not surprised that there were a lot of steps involved. I can tell you that there were a lot of steps involved on my end, and uh, I was not wearing a Fitbit, so I can't uh, can't verify that but whole lot of walking going on yes so what are you drinking tonight michelle
1: tonight i have a and i have to admit it's really terrible but it is a sparkling rosé uh, which is one of my favorites but i sent my husband out to get it a few weeks ago and he came back with a brand i shall not name <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's uh that's probably wise i'm sorry it's not a good one i do find the uh the sparkling wines really do kind of vary it's true. One but, of you know. One of my wife's favorites is a uh, a local restaurant does a uh, sparkling, uh, what is it? It's it's like a, a champagne sangria, sparkling wine sangria. It's uh, interesting. Yeah, and uh, it's it's great. I'm not a huge fan of sangria in general, but they're so variable that sometimes I love them, sometimes yeah, not so much. But uh, this one is a good one. So. Uh, so that's great. I'm sorry it's not great, but I hope you can uh, you can choke it down during our conversation here.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, there's nothing is ever really bad about sparkling wine. It's just you know, <laughs> the level of goodness, really. It's like pizza.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. There's good and not so good. But always edible. <laughs> to- totally understand. Well, I'm joining you tonight with a uh, Gilroy Martini, a pretty basic martini, but instead of the traditional olives, I've got some garlic... Uh, garlic-stuffed olives that were brined with some vermouth. So that's my libation of choice for this evening.
1: Sounds very fancy.
0: All right. Well, thank you again for coming in. Cheers. Cheers. So where are you from?
1: Well, originally, I grew up in Shelburne, Vermont, which is not too far from Burlington. Uh, And then I just kept moving east. Uh, I did high school in New Hampshire, college in Maine. And, uh, you know, before I fell off the edge of the, the U.S., there, I actually went to graduate school in Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Where'd you go in Wisconsin? I went to the University of Wisconsin Madison, and I got a degree in a master's degree in theater, specifically theater and education.
0: Okay, wait a minute. This was uh, what was the name of the school again? University of Wisconsin Madison. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought there was another word in there that had something to do with medical. No. And I'm thinking, way. <laughs> I'm thinking, you went to graduate school. You went to medical school, and you got a degree in theater. I, I don't quite see how that how that works. So, okay, all right. So uh, Wisconsin, and you got a graduate degree in theater, and yes. uh, and part of that was teaching.
1: I, it was in education. It's it's kind of a long story. I have an undergraduate dual degree in biology and theater. So there was a possibility of going on to medicine, uh, not Madison. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: um, but I decided to go get a degree for directing in the theater. And unfortunately, um, the program that we entered into, we were the last who admitted to that program. And and so both myself and my partner in crime said, you know what, it doesn't seem like they're too committed to this. Uh, So we decided to get master's degrees instead. And I just focused on, you know, using theater in school and in education. Uh, But really, my focus and my background was truly in theater direction. Uh, So moving into audiobooks and even directing some audiobooks was not really a, a big leap for me.
0: So, did you do much directing in theater then?
1: I did. I I actually toured for a number of years doing children's theater, uh, where we would go into a town and direct a play and perform it within a week. Uh, And then I moved. I did. I worked on a military base in in Germany. Did a lot of theater directing there. I did some in Los Angeles. Uh, It just you know it's kind of the the home I grew up in was the theater. So of course many audiobook narrators, being theater people. Uh, I get that world, and uh, it's worked out. Those, those skill sets are very useful today. Well,
0: that's cool. I'm, I'm really interested in the fact that the directing that you did sounds really diverse. I mean, going from children's theater to a mili- military base in Germany and then going to L.A., I have to imagine that those are very different experiences. Um, how, how did it feel like the skills that you had went from one to the next?
1: Really, the great thing about being trained in the theater, specifically in directing in theater, a lot of it is just managing people and moving people around a space. So, you know, lo and behold, many many years later, I'm doing that in event work um, for the Audio Publishers Association as well, because you might be have different people in your quote unquote cast. Um, but it's really all about how those people are being utilized and how those people are delivering their message. Uh, so it, it's a skill set that doesn't really matter so much who the actors are or who the the people in that acting role are. Uh, but it's something I use every day. So my my parents who really wanted that biology degree, sadly, that's not what I use. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: so uh, so that's kind of an interesting um, tangent there. Uh, so your parents like the biology degree. What do they think of what you're doing now?
1: I, I think it confounds them. But uh, occasionally, you know, when I w- would say to them, oh, yes, I, I do audiobooks. Um, my father, one day, he called me and he said, oh, I'm so sad you know i went to the library and i got my harry potter cassette and i went into my car and my car only has a cd player <laughs> and i said well dad you know what i do he's like i don't know something with books <laughs> i said well what you just you just hold on uh, i'm sure that i can get you you know the harry potter cd and lo and behold it was you know fedex to his house the next day yeah. so Only then did they understand that, like, oh, wow, okay, she knows people, you
0: know. That's fantastic. So just out of curiosity, was it uh, Jim Dale or Stephen Fry?
1: It was Jim Dale.
0: Yeah. I I assumed since it was the U.S., although um, I have not heard both of them. I did start uh, Jim Dales at some point, and I'd really like to hear kind of side by side with Stephen Fry just, just to see how different it is.
1: It is a very different experience, but what's funny, of course, you know, I've met Jim a number of times. He's emceed the Audis, which are like the Oscars for audiobooks. Mm -hmm. Um, But I worked for the BBC for many years. So even though we didn't sell the Stephen Fry version in the US, you know, that was constantly being talked about and the differences were were constantly being sussed out as to which, (laughs) you know, country had the better version. I I love that little rivalry. It was fun.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that there are some people who who feel extremely strongly one way or the other.
1: Absolutely, and as I sit here and talk to you, I'm staring at the the collection of Stephen Fry Harry Potter on my shelf.
0: So. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully I'll get to get to check that out at some point because I love Stephen Fry in general. Um, so, so theater directing—you did that for a while, and then what happened after that?
1: Well, when I was in Los Angeles, and you know, it's kind of a funny story. I was sharing a car one car with my husband and he worked, uh, near Venice, California. And so I started to look for things that were around Venice and I ran across Los Angeles theater works or LA theater works. Um, and they were looking for someone to sell tickets at night. And I was working at a theater in Malibu during the day, doing all sorts of different things, directing some stuff. And so, I decided to go in and help them sell some tickets. And it was a good experience. And they're like, well, we think you you know, know what you're doing. So, would you like to come and work with us during the day? And so, I started doing a little bit of daytime work, actually packing cassette tapes. And uh, over a few weeks later, they're like, oh, do you want to come work here more full-time? And I ended up... Basically, running the audio publishing program for LA Theater Works. So, I did that for a few years until the BBC uh, swooped in and stole me away to uh, travel the US selling audiobooks to public libraries.
0: So, uh, that's interesting. So, LA Theater Works, what was their program exactly? I mean, did they produce audiobooks in house?
1: They do actually produce live theater. Um, currently it's recorded at UCLA at the time where I worked for them. It was at the Skirball uh, Center in LA and it's a full production of a play that's done in front of microphones. So it's not sets and costumes. It's really an audio production. Sometimes there are alterations made to, you know, be aware of the fact that you can't see it when it's recorded mm-hmm. but a live audience goes watches it recorded and it's recorded a number of times there's a live foley artist on stage wow. and then it's edited together Ultimately, it's both broadcast on the radio and then turned into an audio product uh, that is sold and given away because LATW is a nonprofit. So their mission really is to record these amazing plays with big name actors in Los Angeles who can't necessarily devote six months to a play. Mm hmm and then have it be available uh, for students, for people that can't get to Broadway or LA to see top theater. Uh, It's an amazing little organization. And uh, I've come back to work with them. I I work with them again now, sort of in the same role of helping them get the word out and get the uh, sales for these products to support that nonprofit mission of, of giving more of it away.
0: Well, that's fantastic. That sounds really interesting. Uh, I've, I've participated in a few staged readings, and I, I can imagine that there would be a few things that would have to change, like you say, since um, th- there is no set. Uh, I've also done some live um, uh, descript- audio description of theatrical performances for, uh, for visually impaired. And right. um, it, it is a really kind of interesting thing to know that people can still experience theater, without actually having to be in the space or without being able to see the space. Um, So that sounds like a great program.
1: It is. It's so nice for the actors to be able to have that intimacy with the microphone and yet also for the audience who's live to to have some presence in the play. Mm-hmm. So you can hear them laugh or, you know, take in a deep breath, things like this, um, you know, a gasp of surprise. Uh, that's one of the elements I really love that you can kind of be there with the audience.
0: That's great. That That definitely sounds like a great program. And now there are going to be a whole bunch of more people who are familiar with it. Yes, I hope so. Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, uh, so it was right after that that you uh, you started working with the uh, APA.
1: Actually, no. While I was at LA Theater Works, I started as a volunteer with the uh, APA. They asked me to help plan a small event, the the book expo Tea. And ultimately, I think I did a good enough job that people just kept saying, "Hey, would you also do this? Would you also do this?" Uh, and I became a board member but I went on to work at the British Broadcasting Corporation's American audiobooks division uh, for well over a decade and during that time I was president of the association another volunteer position I planned the conference I planned the award ceremonies so I have a long history with the board uh, well over gosh coming up on 20 years now of participating with the board and at some point as we've made some changes in the management of the association, we used to work with a management company that would provide an executive director, not someone from the industry. Uh-huh. And you know, finances all of that. Uh, and eventually we split those a few years ago into a management company and a, a place for an industry-focused executive director. At that time, the board said, would you consider applying? And it was a very funny process for me because I went out and recruited a bunch of people to apply for the executive director position. Uh, but when I really took a look at what they were asking the position to do and my experience with the association, I thought, well, so much of this is what I've been doing as volunteer president. So, sure, yeah. Uh, Maybe I should apply, and uh, it was a long process. But they they did eventually uh, bring me into the fold as the industry person, as part of the management team. And then about a year and a half ago, we split from our old management company, and we decided instead of having a formal management company, we would go to you know a set of part time people who worked well together, and we. Partnered with Joanna Lasquez, who had been our executive director at one of these management companies uh, many years ago, and we we all sort of pined for her. <laughs> you know, she's <laughs> she's fantastic. She and I have a great working relationship, uh, and you know, even for this APAC, it was just the two of us. Our, our third uh, part-time person is not with the association; hasn't been for about a month. Um, so we we just you know dug in and did it all ourselves and
0: really had a good time and a shockingly stress-free time. So that's, that's good to hear considering how much was going on. Did I hear you say a few minutes ago that, that up until the management company change, you were organizing the conference as a volunteer?
1: So with the programming side is generally done by volunteers. And as we've become a larger industry and, and more professional, we have had the volunteers have to worry about less. So, you know, 15 years ago when I planned the conference, I was the volunteer, but I was also, you know, setting up the programming, calling people to say, hey, why didn't you buy your ticket? <laughs> you know, all of these things. Um, and the volunteers really have a much more strategic and programming role than they did 15 years ago. Uh, but I did chair the conference a, a few times way back when. So, It's nice now being part of the management team to say, okay, here are all the things that we did that we didn't like. Uh, Let's do the things that we did like, and let's try to improve the flow of the day, improve the, the programming with the help of the volunteers, and just really solidify things so that it can be as valuable for as many people as possible.
0: Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just uh, cannot believe that a conference like the one I just attended could have been organized by a volunteer. So I imagine that 10, 15 years ago, the conference was substantially smaller than it is now?
1: It was. And we did we did work with a management company. Um, it just was a much, it was, you know, I think the first conference I attended maybe had 125 people. Uh, and yeah. at this one, we had 575. So um, it's a different scale these days.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So, uh, so what all do you do at the APA besides, you know, playing a huge part at this point in uh, in the conference?
1: Well, the association itself focuses on education of its members, research, uh, networking opportunities, and then the events, the conference, and the awards. And my role is very much to focus on. The strategic mission of the board. You know, they're making decisions like here's what we want uh, to make sure it happens this year. It could be a marketing campaign, it could be extra research. Uh, so I work with them to determine what those strategic focuses are and then to achieve them. So this year in particular, we've increased our research. We're adding a big marketing campaign. Uh, we're doing a lot of outreach to the press uh, and to conferences that are involved with the book industry to make sure that audiobooks are part of the conversation. And I think that's been very successful. There has been a lot of press around audiobooks and more people are now reaching out to me to either say, hey, we would like to add a programming element about audiobooks to our conference. Can you assist us? Or can you come talk uh, about audiobooks at our conference? So that's really exciting.
0: Yeah, no doubt. is. Um, I know that Book Expo takes place for the past two years. It's taken place at the same time as APAC in the same space. Is that one of the conferences that you're dealing with?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we've particularly partner with Book Expo, the APA events have always been done in conjunction with them. So, in the old days where the conference was very small, we did it at a a hotel nearby, wherever Book Expo was being held. And for a number of years now, we've done it in conjunction with them. So, we're in the same space. Uh, It makes it a lot easier for people who have to go back and forth between the conferences. And, you know, we gain the opportunity to use a preset that setup of tech, uh, which is really nice for us.
0: That's good. Yeah, uh, when you can um, sort of piggyback off each other and, and help each other out that way, that's always a good thing. Um, how? Uh, what? What can you say about Book Expo for a primarily narrator audience? I know a few narrators who have gone to various parts of Book Expo, but I haven't spoke with, spoken with them about the specifics about why they made that choice or what came out of it for them. So what's your feeling about uh, narrators taking part in Book Expo? Well,
1: Book Expo has really changed over the last few years. It used to be a larger conference that dealt a lot with librarians, dealt a lot with booksellers. And now it's a lot of things happening in between You know, people who are buying books and selling books, the kind of the rights, although that was a separate fair this year, uh, it's really a time for networking within the publishing industry. I don't know that there's a great place for narrators these days uh, as the conference has, has become much more sort of very business focused. There are some events like the Book Expo T where we will occasionally have narrators speak. Um, but 10 years ago, I think it was a great place to go and sort of see what was, what was being published and talk with people. And now everybody is just like back-to-back meetings, uh, less time sort of wandering the floor, more time sitting down in booths or in back rooms to talk about advertising or what the new title is that's coming out that a a bookstore or retailer would want to know about. Um, So it's a little bit more narrow focus these days, actually.
0: Hmm. Okay. So uh, in terms of APAC... Uh, sorry, my voice is still half shot from uh, from last week because of all the events. I'm sure you're well aware of that syndrome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so in terms of APAC, how did the planning go? How did it how did it feel as you were leading up to APAC, which I'm sure is a good uh, six to 12 month process?
1: Yeah, it was really, I would say, very smooth this year. Uh, Both the production track and the business track, uh, the chairs and their committees were on target with designing what the sessions would be and getting us the written materials, lining up the speakers. It really made our job easy. So we could worry about, okay, where do we place you know, this session? Where do we place that session? And we added a few new things this year. We had a, a mentor program for new members to the APA, which I think was a great success and something that I'd love to be able to expand and, and working with the committee chairs on that. Um, we changed some of the times during the day. So, speed dating, which is when narrators meet with producers and publishers, it was first thing in the morning. It was kind of a protected in terms of sound. So we kind of kept people away from that space uh, to really allow the intimacy and the interaction to be stronger. And we've worked for the last couple of years on making director diagnostics, which is those moments when publishers and senior narrators and producers can sit down with someone and direct them on a piece for 15 minutes. Uh, that's a really nice session. And it was something that was always, you know, 20 or 30 people would uh, get to participate. And we found a new way to expand those numbers. So we had over 100 people getting a director diagnostic session this year and wow that was that's the...
0: great I didn't realize it had expanded that much that's fantastic
1: yes and and Robin Eller and Laura Jennings did a, an amazing job kind of pairing everyone together uh, so I'm I'm very proud with uh, how they brought that session about this year
0: that's great and I agree I think that that is a, a great session I was uh, fortunate enough to be in that last year with Kat Lambricks and it was um, it was great it, it wasn't just the fact that I'm getting great direction from somebody who's been in this industry for a long time and knows what they're doing. We just had a great conversation too. And that's something that I think is this conference is really good for is to just meeting people and just talking to people because they're people and you're a person. And it, it was just really a nice thing.
1: Yeah. I think that, that thing about us all being people cannot be said enough. Mm -hmm. There's long been this, you know, oh, you go to APAC and you're going to get these jobs and it'll happen tomorrow. Or if I didn't get cast in something the next day, I'm, you know, I'm thrown into a a tizzy. And it's really not about that. It's very much about building relationships so that six months down the line, when the right job for you comes up, you are thought of. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of great posts this year before APAC reminding people that, As a freelance narrator, you are a business. So not only should you conduct yourself as a business, but you should remember that the producers and the publishers are there as businesses as well, and they have their agendas. So to be mindful of that in your interactions and to remember that You know, nobody wants someone's resume kind of blurted out and, and, you know, thrown up on them 50 (laughs) times that day. Right. What they want to do is learn about who people are, have genuine conversations so that it can help with their long-term casting process.
0: Sure. Yeah. I I saw a lot of those posts as well. And I thought that there was a lot, having only been once before, and I know that there are people who have been you know, dozen times. But um, having been only once before, I thought there was a lot of good information that made a lot of sense to me having been there once before.
1: Yeah, I was very impressed by the community at large and how they're dealing with the changes of us being a rather small industry into becoming a much bigger and more prominent industry. And that really speaks to everyone who's involved teaching each other, what those changes mean and helping each other through the process as we become bigger and better.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, it's an amazing community. And I heard that more than once uh, last week, just people being just so happy about being there and people welcoming them and uh, finding you know great information.
1: That's good. I'd like to hear they're happy, and hopefully they will uh, take the time to fill out those surveys and and tell us what they enjoyed.
0: Yeah, definitely want to get to feedback here in a minute. But uh, before that, so you planned for it. Planning went well. Uh, Now give us a little debrief about how you and everybody at the APA feels like the entire event went um, now that you're past it.
1: Well it's funny, we we actually met this morning, uh, Joanna and I, and you know, we did a sample schedule for twenty nineteen. You know, we closed one event. Yeah, Yeah. Because as we're going through the event, we're taking notes. Hey, we needed 15 more minutes here. Hey, we need to make sure that you know our logo is on in the rooms where it's supposed to be. It's all those little things mm-hmm. uh, that really help the day flow well. Um, and you know, part of my list of to-dos is to hopefully talk to Book Expo in the next week or two about th- what their plans are, what their dates are for the upcoming years, and to think about. You know what technology they're going to have because that's one of the things I would really love to see is us be able to have you know wireless mics and you know a little less kind of older tech and more new tech, Mm -hmm. you know, prompters and all of these things that you see in some of these new conference venues. Um, And so we're already you know we're thinking about 2019.
0: That's great. No no one's
1: resting on the laurels. (laughs)
0: So you're thinking ahead. That's good. Um, did did it feel like anything went wrong?
1: You know, I, I think it was surprisingly smooth. Um, you know, I think there was just a few things. There's really just a few things that we wanted to tweak. Some of the bigger issues that we had last year, we fixed by just moving sessions in the day, making sure speed dating was on its own, having pre-poured beer and wine as opposed <laughs> to a full bar.
0: It's the uh, little things.
1: It's a little thing. yeah. And, you know, of course, half of you wants to go, okay, can we just, like, basically replicate this for next year? Um, but the other thing that we did was we added over 100 people to the conference this year. And we have to continue to think about, is there a way to add more spots uh, for people that want to attend? Because our saddest thing is to have to turn anyone away, and we, we have had to do that the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's it's not unlimited space that's that's the reality of the situation so right. I tell everyone sign up early um, and in general, I just think the programming was so strong uh, that's the stuff that I really want to hold on to um, you know could there are there things that we could do better yes and i'm sure people will tell us what those were um but we really sat and made lists of all the little things that we would like to uh make sure happen or don't happen for next year um so that we can really make it as smooth as it was this year
0: well that's great i'm i'm glad to hear that you felt like it went smoothly uh, I know that the survey, I just got the survey today. I don't know if it's gone out to everybody, but I just got the, uh, I think it it's su- yep, su- SurveyMonkey survey or uh, w- whichever the service is. Um, yes, survey Monkey. Yeah, for participants. So I got that today and I went through it. Uh, aside from that, I, I don't imagine that you've had a chance to um, put any of that data together yet, but um, have you had any early feedback from participants about the event?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, I've been extremely gratified. One of the things that I want to make sure that we do is reach out to the volunteers right after the event happens. So I've spent between, you know, really from Friday uh, to today thanking people. And they've all been really positive about the experience. And they've been providing little tweaks to their sessions that they think would be helpful. Mm -hmm. So... I think when the programming is good and the you know the space where we can see the sky is good because we used to be in the basement of the javits um, that just really leaves people with a, a strong feeling of happiness and that New mentoring program for new members, uh, I just think was really very much the icing on the cake to make people feel part of the community and try and teach them about how to deal with the day. Um, So it was all very positive, and I'm super pleased. I I was telling people, oh, my goodness, I think I have to quit because I don't know if we can ever do it this well again.
0: That's funny. Um, yeah, no, that's good. I heard lots of lots of positive things as well. Well, I certainly filled out my survey, and I hope everybody else does as well so that you get as much information as possible to uh, to make any changes that you think would be good ones and to keep things the same that worked well.
1: Yes, we're we're looking for all of that information, and uh, we appreciate everyone supplying it. So thank you in advance.
0: That's good. So, uh, so you're already looking at 2019. Um, I know that uh, I think it was three years ago, or maybe it was two years ago, uh, three APACs ago. uh, APAC was in Chicago. Is there any talk at this point about having APAC in a different location again? Or is that something that was kind of a one time thing?
1: Well, it's interesting because back in the day, Book Expo moved every year. So it bounced between LA, Chicago, and New York. Uh, Occasionally, another city would be added in. Washington, D.C. was one of the ones I attended. And in fact, in 2000, I think it was 2008, we were supposed to be in Las Vegas. But when the stock market crashed and everybody went, there's not a lot of money, um, it stayed in New York for many years. So it stopped. It just all the plans to move ended, and we just stayed in New York. And at that time, uh, Reed founded a book con, which has been going for a few years now. So we have our conference, you know, Wednesday through Friday is really Book Expo. And then, you know, The crowd of fans who like books, uh, who attend BookCon, these are consumers, descend upon the Javits for Saturday and Sunday. Uh, And so that happening in New York for a number of years, when everyone moved to Chicago to sort of retest the waters of should we move, you know, the numbers were not as strong. The feedback was not as strong uh, for the conferences. And BookCon was only one day instead of two. So they really made the decision, it seems, to, to stick to New York. Uh, it's going well. They they know what to expect there. And, you know, we will continue to look at things and make you know, make sure it makes sense for us to remain Mm -hmm. paired with them.
0: Sure. Yeah. But
1: there are a lot of reasons, especially when our publisher members have to be in two places at once, you might as well make those two places at once the same venue.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It it certainly does make a lot of sense. Uh, I for one would love it if you moved to LA just because out here in Tucson, it's a little bit easier to get to LA, but I totally understand the uh, the reasons for keeping it in some place like New York, especially since, uh, if I'm not mistaken, New York is still most definitely the publishing capital.
1: It is the majority of our larger members are there in New York, so you know it can't be denied that that's an important thing, and they can bring more staff uh, to the events when they are located near where their home office is. So that's yeah. a really
0: nice perk. Yeah. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so, well, wah, wah, too bad for me not going to LA <laughs> anytime soon for APAC, but that's quite all right. It, I certainly have had a good time in New York, the, the two, two events that I've gone to. My wife and I have ended up making a week vacation out of the whole thing. And so I kind of bookend the conference with a couple of days of sightseeing and uh, meeting friends that I happen to know in New York. And so it, it's been great. It's just uh, a lot more expensive than driving to L.A. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so another event that is part of the whole week of events uh, around APAC is the Audis. So yes. uh, tell me about the Audis. What's the history of that?
1: Well, it was really set up to be the event that honored great production. So that includes the narration, you know, the marriage of a great text to a great narration. And it's been a, a growing program. Uh, we like to consider ourselves the, the Oscars of audiobooks. Uh, and we were surprised this year. I mean, it's been an event that's been around, you know, 300, between 300 and 330 people. And we sold out at over 400 people this year. Wow. So again, I think it it speaks to the fact that the industry is growing, there's more people involved. uh, And, you know, we are constantly looking for ways to make that event both refined and publicity worthy. Uh, And uh, it was, yeah, it was, (laughs) this this was a tough one. Like, get in the seats because there's no other seats. Please sit down, you know. So, yeah, it's a really, I think, a fun event and one that we've tried a lot of different things with. It used to be an event that was often held in a hotel ballroom with a full sit-down dinner and everybody sat at tables and there really wasn't a lot of mingling. Uh, It was a very long event at that time. So a number of years ago um, the board got together and said, hey, we want to mix it up. Uh, and that's always an event that we look at, okay, not only what are we awarding in terms in terms of the number of awards being given and what their focus is, uh, but also how do we want to run the event. And the fact that we hit you know venue capacity this year um, really means that we're gonna have to do a lot of thinking about 2019. Uh, are we going to change up the format? Are we going to, you know, what types of venues are we going to look at? Uh, so I think there's a lot of kind of fun work to be done there.
0: Well, that's great. Uh, I have not been to the Audis yet. I was there helping out um, PJ and Suzanne doing the the red carpet uh, interview yes. stuff. And, and that was great. So I got to meet a few people in line, but then I, I didn't stay, but I am sort of planning on going next year um, because it, it just seemed like a really interesting uh, event, and there were a lot of a lot of cool people and get to hear about a lot of things, a lot of projects that I may not have been familiar with before that. Um, so so you mentioned the venue, uh, and selling out I'm sure is partially in, I'm, I'm sure that that's partially because of the size of the venue. Um, Has there been any talk yet of where else it might be held?
1: Oh, yes. We have uh, looked at every venue
0: in New York, (laughs) pretty much. (laughs) I'm sure that there are a lot of them. (laughs)
1: Yes. And we, you know, we've been at that size where you don't, you know, we're not at a thousand. So there's theaters that are the size of a thousand, Um, but there's not a lot in terms of having a theater space where you can have great AV to show a slideshow, Mm -hmm. uh, which walks everyone through the, the the nominees. Um, So there are some restrictions that we have for that type of venue, Uh, but there's been a lot of discussion again over, you know, do we want to go back to any sort of table event and what would that look like in terms of venue? Obviously budget is an issue, you know, our, um, options for venues and kind of creating our own, um, was something that we we looked into this year. It it doubles our cost, so right. um, we didn't go down that path because one of the things that we've been happy about is that we've been able to keep the tickets for the Audis at the same price for a long time, same with APAC, you know, a, as reasonable price as we can possibly do. They're not big money-making events for the association. They're really about educating the members and, you know, honoring the members. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking less about making money and much more about holding strong events.
0: Right, but um, uh, but of course, money enters into it when you're going to have to rent a space for something. So uh, absolutely, yeah, totally understand that. Well, I'll, I'll definitely be interested to see how that plays out next year in terms of location and um, and how big the event is because I'm I'm hoping to go next year. It it really looked like a like a fun event. Um, tell me about you, how... you can
1: watch the whole thing online actually um, at the audio community facebook page and on the youtube channel
0: so you oh, can actually see the whole event just that, that's that, great i yeah. didn't realize the whole the whole event was streamed
1: yes we have the red carpet show streamed and that was a very exciting addition that to was the event fun yeah year. that was great yeah. Yeah. and thank you for your help it was it was so great
0: oh yeah no problem melissa and i uh, melissa moran and i helped out and uh, we both had a great time doing it so i'm really glad that it worked out and you
1: both
0: um, look snazzy too, which I really appreciated. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Gotta look snazzy for a for an event like that. Um, so uh, so that's great. Tell me about. Well, first of all, is the audis just an APA thing? I mean, is that something that you partner with people, or is that really just the APA is in charge of the audis? Period. The
1: APA is in charge of the audis. Period.
0: Okay. So just we just wanted do, to make sure I yeah. got that right. Okay. Um, so how, tell. I'm, I'm sure that there are some people like myself who are interested in how the whole process works in terms of nominations, uh, how are nominations made, who makes nominations, how are winners determined, uh, who does that t- determination, um, stuff like that.
1: All good questions. And we actually have on APA.audiopub.org, uh, we've got a kind of a, a guide to the whole process, which I'll talk you through here. Okay, great. So it's the rights holders that submit. So that can be a publisher, it can be an author, and occasionally okay. we will have a narrator submit. They just have to get permission and they have to you know, prove that they have permission from the rights holder to submit a title. Okay. So, those go into a pool, and we had over 1,400 submissions this year. Wow. So, we have 200 judges uh, that take them through a process. Um, the first step is kind of a, a screening round. Um, where you don't have to listen to the entire book, but you have to listen to a substantial portion of the book. And basically the judges say, you know, this one does not hold up against the rest from this category. So, you know, could never be a finalist. A lot of times that could be a, like a technical issue or they just feel that the casting choice might not have been the best. Um, so then the pool of, of titles gets whittled down a little bit. Um, and then... You know, and all of these are a series of a minimum of three judges listening to all of this. So, once the the whittled down pool has been handed off to judges, they could be listening to 50 or 60 books. Wow! Completely, uh, and generally it's a minimum of three, sometimes up to five or six judges. They listen to the whole book. They rank the titles, picking their top. I can't remember what it is. I think it's top seven or something like this. Uh, and the the ones that rise to the top go into the finalist round. Those finalists are set sent to a third set of judges, uh, who again listen to them completely and rank them uh, based on what they feel is the you know the the best of each. And that's how the winners are determined. So if you are winning, your title has been listened to by a minimum of nine judges, and it's really quite a rigorous process. We involve over 200 judges in the process, and we're constantly refreshing those judges and and looking for new people to participate because obviously it's a huge time commitment, and we cannot thank them enough.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. If each judge is listening to that many books, and uh, aside from the first round, they really have to listen to the whole book every time. Um, That's definitely a time commitment. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, it's good to know how that works. Cause, uh, my friend Nancy Peterson won an Audi and, uh, it's nice to know yes. the, the pieces that went into that. Um, you know, how many people were involved and how many times it had to get listened to and, uh, came to the top. So good
1: to know. Yeah. And the, the one difference, I mean, there are some different awards. Design obviously does not take into the n- account the narration. Marketing does not take into account the narration. Um, an audiobook of the year not only takes into account the production as a whole, but also looks at sales and and marketing. Wow. Um, and we reevaluate those criteria each year to make sure that it you know fits with the goals of the organization. But when we think about audiobook of the year in terms of twenty eighteen, that was a book that had great production. It also had really strong sales and a really great marketing campaign. So it was kind of the you know impacting the industry in many ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I'm sure that there are a lot of things that have to go into uh, into deciding that one.
1: Yes, and that's a juried pool, so people actually get together and like duke it out over which one is the winner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, give us the, give us the the uh, the dirty details. Was there actually any fighting going on?
1: I never get involved in that. In fact, I don't know who the winners are uh, when I enter the event that night. Oh, wow. Um, I'm finding out when everyone else is. Um, yeah. So I stay out of that be, because I don't want to accidentally, you know, give any information
0: away. No no, no tells out on the red carpet. Exactly. No uh, <laughs> lack of poker face in any way. So yeah. Oh, it's know. so good to see you. You won't believe what's going to happen later. Oh, wait. I shouldn't have said that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So, uh, so Michelle, what do you see for the APA going forward?
1: Well, we are in a really beautiful time for audiobooks. There's so much growth happening in the industry. The number of books being produced each year is growing, the number of revenue of uh, retailers being involved in the space is growing. The number of people recording them is growing. the number of people actually publishing on both a, a small and large scale is growing. So it's a very exciting time to be here. And I anticipate that the conversation about audiobooks is really going to continue. and and in part, we certainly have, Uh, Technology to thank, the smartphone has been uh, a big boon for the audiobook industry, and we're seeing a lot of research telling us that the smart speaker is going to have a a big impact. So that's like your Google Home, your Amazon Alexa. Oh, right. A lot of activity around children's stories and audiobooks uh, in the evenings. So, you know, we are expecting that it's going to be good news for a long time to come. And we're very pleased because we fought so hard for so long to get recognized. And now we're really a, a bright, shining piece of the publishing industry.
0: That's great. Yeah, you've been involved with the APA for so long. It must be really gratifying to see the, um, the direction that everything is going and, and just be able to ride the wave.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could not be happier on a day-to-day basis. Um, You know, it's very exciting to have uh, everyone kind of looking for information about how do they get into audiobooks. Uh, That's not something I expected 20 years ago when I had to explain that a book on tape was many, many things.
0: It could be a play, (laughs) it could be poems, you know, it could be an original work. Yeah, And Uh, and back then it was definitely on tape. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> things have definitely changed. and uh, it's i'm I'm sure it's great to have been a big part of that change.
1: Yeah, I mean, I am very lucky to have hit audiobooks when I did and to be able to continue to grow with the industry and do lots of different things. That's part of the fun of what I do in having multiple jobs is that I can experience different sides of the industry, everything from casting to, you know, administratively making sure that the list
0: of who's attending the audis is alphabetized. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's the little things that matter sometimes. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for your time. It's been great chatting with you. Anything else you'd like to add about the APA or APAC or the Audis or audiobooks in general? I
1: would just say keep listening and if you're interested in APA events, sign up early.
0: We hate to disappoint you. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really glad that I saw um, when it opened and I, I think I registered like within a week of when I saw that registration was open because I thought I went last year. There's no chance I'm going to miss this year. <laughs> yes. Well, generally
1: January is when we open the events. Uh, so look for that coming soon. Um, there are a lot of great events coming up between now and next May. So we we have a social coming up in New York, July 9th, and we have a series of speed dating events for those who didn't make the lottery for speed dating, and it really is very much a lottery. There's hundreds of people applying for 15 spots, so don't be discouraged if mm-hmm. you didn't
0: get one. It doesn't mean that you were terrible. <laughs> you know. No, that, that's great to hear, though. I'm glad that you mentioned that, um, that there are more coming up, because I know that there was at least one last year. But I didn't hear that there were several. So is that a program that you're actively um, uh, increasing?
1: Yes, we made the decision to do four events between uh, 2018 and 2019. So there's one coming up in New York September 26th. There's one coming up December 5th. There will be one in March. And then once we have the the date for APAC, that'll be the fourth event. Um, And you can already sign up for those uh, for two for both September and December on the website now. Uh, You do need to be uh, an APA member and make sure that your membership is up to date. Uh, That's sort of the big, Screen out so it's not just everybody, it is um, focused on our members.
0: Sure, yeah. So, both of those are going to be in New York?
1: They are. We're going to, because so many of our big publishers are in New York, um, we're doing four in New York this year, and it is something that we have in the back of our minds to look at doing in some other places, um, but it, it's really about where the publishers are. Uh, Have the most people and are willing to be
0: yeah, so that makes sense I mean you uh, I'm sure that you know, like I said before I would love it if you had something in LA, but um, With most of the people people in LA it's or or, uh, New York It's it would be difficult to say we're gonna have this event and a whole bunch of narrators are gonna be applying and all of you Publishers are gonna be expected to fly across the country to do it. So uh, I, I can certainly understand that
1: yeah, we will have a social in Los Angeles uh, in the fall that the date hasn't been set yet. But when we have our next board meeting in July, we'll be laying all of that out. So lots to come.
0: Yeah, great. Now, I look forward to hearing about that one. Um, well, this is great. So uh, I don't know if you want people to contact you directly. But if you do, I'd be happy to hear uh, how you would like people to contact you.
1: Sure. My email is really easy. It's mcob, two B's like the salad, at <laughs> uh, audiopub.org. I encourage people to reach out and just understand I might not be as quick to respond in the next few weeks as we are coming off these events. And I, I think I had 200 emails just in my APA email today. <laughs> wow. So, so uh, you know, um, but yeah, I, I encourage feedback, you know. And the other thing is if you want to get involved in, Helping with the conference, and helping with the awards, in l- helping to sit, you know, be at the door at a social. Uh, we are a volunteer organization. We rely on the volunteers to really do all the major staffing at our events. So please reach out and tell me what you're interested in. And I would love to uh, connect you with the right people for what you want to do.
0: Well, that's great. I, I'm i guessing that you will probably have a few emails like that after uh, this podcast goes out. Uh, and I'm sure that based on my experience, uh, just helping out with Suzanne and PJ at the Audis, um, you know, I'm sure that people, anybody who might think about, you know, um, giving up a little bit of their time would, uh, enjoy the experience because I know I did. So, uh, I, I, think that's great.
1: Thanks for the reinforcement.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, no problem. Well, thanks again for coming into the speakeasy. I hope the sparkling wine was okay. My martini was great. I'm down to one olive. So, um, so it, it was a great drink.
1: Excellent. Glad to hear it.
0: All right. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Michelle Cobb for coming by. I'm very happy to hear that the APA was as happy with how APAC went as I was. And based on what I heard from others, I know I wasn't alone. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, a place where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. Special thanks this week to Mark Dillon for leaving a five-star review on iTunes with some very nice comments. Mark, I'm really glad you're enjoying the show. Be sure to tell your friends. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you could visit Patreon.com slash Audiobook Speakeasy and donate a buck or two. You donate per episode, but don't worry about breaking the bank if I decide to publish an episode a day. You can set a monthly maximum. The same Mark Dillon that I just mentioned a moment ago is also one of my patrons, and I'm very grateful for that as well. It takes about six to eight hours to get each episode ready to publish. You audiobook narrators out there will understand that kind of ratio. So any financial support is greatly appreciated and will help me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!